What's up, movie friends, and welcome back to another episode of Letterboxd Recap, where we go through all of the movies we've been watching, as well as rating the Letterboxd Top 4 for five of you listeners. James, how has your movie-watching adventure gone this past week? I've only got five logged, but in my defense, I've been pretty busy with some stuff. You always have five logs. Sometimes I have seven or six. You know, I'm, I'm all over the... I don't have 74 like you every week, Anthony, all right? But, you know, I have things I gotta do. But I have five movies logged, and some of them are new releases, and some of them some of them are just films that I really loved and needed to watch for myself. I can't wait to hear about them. <laughs> I watched eight movies since we got back from Boston. You're acting like you had, like, double me. Get out of here. <laughs> hey, I still beat you. You always do. Once you beat me, you can talk it up all you want. Man. Like I said, I'm going to have to murder you to Looking beat you at to, movies. Yeah, I mean, I keep you on your toes, man. Now, we have some classic films, some modern films, and some contemporary films. I was all over the place. I, I did this, like, what I called, like, tough guy cinema marathon, where I did Casino the Grey, Deer Hunter and the Sting, and Donnie Brasco, Cinderella Man. <laughs> That's pretty great. <laughs> it's great. But we'll get into them all in a little bit. Once we go into... The letterbox top four of five of you listeners. Now, again, if you'd like to send us your letterbox top four, all you got to do is DM us a screenshot of your top four on letterbox to get it read on this podcast. First up, we have our great friend Hogan Miller on Letterboxd. Hogan's top four are Skyfall, nice. best, best James Bond movie ever. The football film Woodlawn, which I know about but i have not seen i think i'm gonna add that to my watch list now then we have star wars episode one the phantom menace i like that pick and he chose the poster of anakin in the desert with his shadow of darth vader reflected uh, poured onto the wall in tatooine and then sinbad sinbad great animated film good pick that's a good animated film i like your list i like that i like that a lot unique list never had a couple of those before and yeah sinbad's the first absolutely and then, when Hogan sent me this, he watched Incredibles 2, Blade Runner 2049. And then, of course, Aubrey, Oppenheimer and Barbie. <laughs> we don't have to bring him up anymore. <laughs> I want to. You want to? I have to. For, well, we're going to have Barbie and Oppenheimer references on this show for eight years straight. 82 years. 82 years. Yeah. Next up, we have... Imagine if we're still doing this when we're 82 years old. <laughs> Technology will be advanced. We'll probably be holograms. <laughs> it, it won't still be microphones and laptops i mean that's radio is it's basically a new version of radio and that was yeah. microphones and laptops no, in I'm 1920 tech will be so much I know, more it was a joke because it said laptops in 1920 and there were no laptops in 1920 oh yeah there weren't any laptops it was a joke did you just fart no <laughs> <laughs> yeah you did all right so that was the chair the chair moves <laughs> just the chair <laughs> <laughs> See, that was not me at all that was anthony <laughs> next up we have ryan hobson great fan of the show Ryan has La La Land. Amazing. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. My guy. Man, I love that one. Epic. Then we got Enemy. Great pick. Villeneuve's film. Such a good movie. It really is. Then we have Blade Runner 2049. Ryan, I love your taste in cinema. I think Ryan likes Denis Villeneuve. A bit. A bit. Man. I like that he has an enemy in his top four. Enemy's That's awesome. really cool. Enemy is awesome. I love this poster with uh, Hall, profile of Hall with the city of Toronto on his skull and the spider walking around the city. It's a great one. It's a great poster. And also, they, they made the N italicized in that title. Oh. Throws you off a little bit. Yeah. And yummy. 
an enemy. I don't think you changed the pronunciation of italicized. No, but like in my head, I am. Okay, all right, whatever helps, en- man. Enemy. <laughs> okay, moving on. <laughs> Enough of that. An anatomy. Next up, we got Michael Gomer, or Gomer. Get it right. Homer one one seven on Letterboxd. Michael has. Fantastic Mr. Fox. All right. One of my favorite from Wes. And then a movie we just did an episode on. Are you like a crazy person? (laughs) V for Vendetta. Classic. I hope you liked our episode on V for Vendetta, uh, Michael, if you listened to it. And then the sides did cure cancer. They were that good. That was the problem. They were. That's why they're so expensive. They cured cancer. The Wolf of Wall Street, of course. Do smoke crack with me, man. Come on. Come on. Smoke crack with me, bro. <laughs> then, oh, I'm really glad that Mike put this on. He put Major League in his top four. Hell yeah. Wow, thing. You make my heart sing. What a great baseball movie. Man, it's so good. Such a good movie. Tom Berenger, Tar- Charlie Sheen, just crushing it. Great, great movie. Mm-hmm. Man, I love that. Great great picks, Michael. Who else we got? Next up, we got David Panos, D. Panos on Letterboxd. His bio says he's a horror connoisseur, connoisseur so I, wa- I, I bet there's some horror movies on it. And we do have some horror movies. <laughs> but first up, we got Warriors. Warriors. Come out to play. Come out and play. Great poster. Choice, I love that too. scene because he just takes those three bottles in his fingers. He's just like <laughs> clanking them, clanking them. Warriors, come out and play. Warriors. All right. <laughs> He's about to go into the full scene. I love here. that movie, man. It's a good one. <laughs> it's a banger. Next up, we got Black Christmas, the original. Great pick. One of the first slashers. If not the first slasher. It's a fucked up movie. Then we got The Dark Knight. The Dark Knight Kid. With a great poster of Heath Ledger's Joker, which is close up of him with a black background. It's really cool. Imagine if he said it in Boston and not Gotham. And it's like <laughs> everyone's like, yo, there's a Dark Knight out tonight. Where's the Joker yo, guy? Where's the Dark Knight? I'm the Joker. <laughs> <laughs> the Joker. <laughs> Did you see the uh, the makeup artist of that film? On and, TikTok. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's crushing it. We should TikTok. invite him on the show. That's a great idea. Yeah, maybe we should hit them up. I bet they'd respond to us. Oh, absolutely. They don't, they don't have that big of a following. You know what would be cool is if we did like a portable episode, if like we went there with some mics or something. I like it. If we, I like we where your head's at. We should hit them up. We should. I think people would love, I would love to pick his mind about Joker Because his workshop looks awesome. Yeah. It'd be the, cool to like walk through his workshop with a microphone and camera and just like go through like his entire career of stuff. Yeah, man. Oscar winning makeup artist. That's so cool. Anyways, the final film on... David's top four is David Cronenberg's excellent film, Eastern Promises. Amazing pick. Amazing pick. What a great movie. I just watched that again recently, and it's just like, it's one of Cronenberg's best. It's very different for, from the rest of his filmography, obviously. <laughs> it is just really a special movie. And then recently, David has watched Bird Box, Barcelona, Creep, and then Interstellar. I like Creep a lot. That's one of my favorite found footage movies. Yeah, excellent movie. Next up, our final top four is from John Raphael. John Raphael on Letterboxd says, started, started getting into movies in December 2021. Since then, I have been getting through every movie I probably should have seen by now and new releases and have been having the best time doing it. Love to hear that. That's amazing. And he says that his top four are the best movies quality-wise, not my favorite. So, okay, I get that. So this is what he considers the best movies ever made objectively. 
All right, let's go. So first up, I mean, I already love where he's starting off with. There will be blood. <laughs> with an amazing poster. I've not seen this poster. It's just the fire. It's like a painted image of the oil derrick on fire and Daniel Plainview silhouetted in front of it. That's a beautiful poster. I might Sounds steal cool. that. Then we have Shawshank Redemption. Sounds like he's doing pretty well with his uh, objectivity right here. Mm-hmm. Then The Godfather. The Godfather. It's got to be up there. You got to have it. It's just objectively one of the best. And then another Dark Knight. There we go. You know what, John? I like this list. I, I wonder. I can see why he likes our show. <laughs> it makes a lot of sense now. <laughs> and then recently, John has watched Come On, Come On, starring Joaquin Phoenix. Good time. 65, which he gave two stars, and we did as well. I think I gave it one. And then uh, The Florida Project. The others, he gave four and a half stars. All great movies. Yeah, Florida Project's terrific. That's it for our five top four letterbox of the week. Thank you to everybody who sent those in. We love hearing about what people have been watching. And again, if you would like to send in your letterbox top four, all you got to do is screenshot it and DM it to us on Instagram, and we'll read it on this show in due time. And if you want to listen to this episode ad-free... Go to Patreon and sign up for the minimum tier of $5. We know a lot of you understand we have to put ads in our show. It's how we pay the bills. It's how Anthony's able to get his Trader Joe's. And we get the Going Meow today. It's how we get the Meow Mix for Juno. So thank you so much for everyone who understands that we have to advertise stuff on the show. But if you want to listen ad-free, just sign up for Patreon at patreon.com slash Raiders of the Lost Podcast. Now, Anthony, what was your first watch of the week? Why do I sound like a radio disc jockey right now? Today, we're going to hear top <laughs> 10 films from Anthony. <laughs> <laughs> my first watch of the day was of the week i didn't do the deer hunter did i do la- deer yeah, hunter? i did deer hunter okay. last week so the first watch for me is the sting which i love it's so it's uh directed by george roy hill who made butch cassidy and sundance kid and he reunited the two massive stars of paul newman and robert redford in this fun caper it's about two con artists who set up a pulling a job on a very wealthy criminal and the whole job is the criminal likes to gamble. He likes to play poker. And so, and he also likes to bet on horses. So the job is they build a fake gambling ring. And they they basically pretend that it's real. And they you can bet on horses. You can play poker. You can do roulette. It's this whole fake gambling thing in a warehouse. And they slowly convince this criminal that it is a real thing and that they have a sure inside scoop on horse betting. And that's the way that they're playing to swindle him out of his wealth. It's excellent. It's so good. It's so well-directed. It's very old school. So it's, be- it's set during the Prohibition era in America. And also, the director, George Roy Hill, used music from that era. And so you hear, like, the old-timey piano music of an American culture of this area. Really puts you into uh, that world and that, and that community. And then you just have Paul Newman and Robert Redford, two of the coolest actors to ever live are just chewing up the screen. And when they're on screen together, it's just like these guys, there's a reason why they're, they were superstars. And they're just two of the greatest Hollywood stars of all time. They really are. I've never seen this thing, but I got to add so to good. my watch list ASAP because so I love good. those guys so, so much. All right, my first watch of the week was actually something Anthony saw as well. We went to the Hollywood red carpet premiere of The Hunger Games. The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes. It was a really cool experience. We got to walk the carpet. We saw Viola Davis, Rachel Zegler, Tom Blythe, everyone in person. Peter Dinklage was there as well, and director Francis Lawrence. It was um, a, an exciting thing to do. 
and we had a blast. And I never read this book. I've read the original books. I've seen all the original movies. And I I was not unsure of how to expect what to expect with this one because it's a prequel of Snow, the villain. Origins. The run the guy who runs the Hunger Games and the, the movies and books that we've seen before. And I'm always a little skeptical of delayed sequels or delayed prequels of pre-existing characters from loved franchises. And especially with the prequel routes of a villain origin story because it's not always done super well. The movie is crafted so well from Francis Lawrence. He's such a terrific director. Obviously, we all know he's done many of the other Hunger Games as well as movies like Constantine. Constantine. John Constantine. I am legend. Asshole. So he's a terrific director, especially with blockbusters and big budget things and adaptations. Now, I'd never read this book, obviously. I've heard mixed things about the book, and I think there's going to be a mixed reaction to the film. I'm sure it's a great adaptation of the novel, but for me, it just what it was. It was good and bad at the same time. I wouldn't say bad. It's just totally a little inconsistent as well as it ran for, I think, 30 minutes too long. It was a long movie. It's like an hour, I mean, two and a half hours, two hours, 40 minutes, this movie. Yeah, 157. Especially not knowing the the story ahead of time from not, like the other books, I'll sit through a long adaptation of a book I've read before, but I haven't read this one, so that's maybe why. But it just felt a little slow at times, a little boring here and there. But again, it looked it looked sensational, and the acting's terrific. Tom Blythe carries this movie on his shoulders. He is a star in the making. Viola Davis is mother. She is a queen. She's sensational in a very evil and malicious and nefarious role as this kind of secret evil doctor behind the pulling the strings behind the Hunger Games. She's the game maker. And yeah, so it's basically kind of the origins of not just Snow, but also what the Hunger Games become in the capital eventually, in early early iterations of it. So I, I like the movie, but at the same time, I, I think it has kind of a low rewatch value for me. I don't think I'll ever see it again, if that makes sense. What was your star rating? I gave it three stars, and I wrote, Snow Origins! Excellent filmmaking and a hypnotizing lead performance from Tom Blythe, Viola Davis's mother. Rachel Zegler sings her butt off, but the film is held back from a runtime that feels 30 minutes too long. I also agree about everything you said. I gave it three and a half stars, and I wrote, Tom Blythe is a movie star. Striking visuals and a fantastic cast lead this intriguing prequel to the Hunger Games franchise. It's really fascinating to see the capital and the games in such an early and bare bones context. As a fan of, as far as origin story goes, stories go, Snow's rise to power worked well for the most part, and Blythe absolutely carries the film. However, a lack of excitement and action held back the long runtime. Overall, it was fun to revisit Pan Am again. I agree. Um. It was very long, and aside from a few moments here and there, a lot of it was kind of just, like, not that impactful in terms of the scenes. Viola Davis is amazing, but she didn't really do much. She's just there to be there, in a way. And same thing with some of the other characters. Like, Peter Dinklage has very little impact on anything in the story whatsoever. He's just kind of there there to give us some exposition. Uh, Tom Blythe does a great job. I've never seen him in anything before, and he did a great job leading the film. Rachel Zegler, again... Excellent performance. Very, very talented singer. But I just think that the characters, I never I never connected to them or really liked them at all. And a lot of the scenes just didn't seem to be very important or to really have any any kind of thing to do with go, what was going on going forward. And also, the movie is kind of two movies in a way. Mm-hmm. And there's a point where 
that divide happens and it just like feels like you already watched a movie and then it's like okay how much longer is this movie now yeah and i would say for me one of the problems i had with it is district 12 did not seem that bad when we were there if that agreed makes sense. yeah it seemed like oh this isn't that bad of a place so i don't know if it's they had a with their adaptation they had to you know quickly get through stuff at district 12 but obviously, the original films, they show how hard life is in District 12. They don't really do that in this movie, if that makes sense. It kind of looks like a fun place to live at. Yeah, I Outside agree. of being controlled by, obviously, the peacekeepers in, in the capital. There's a whole lot of dancing in... A lot of singing and dancing in, and, and laughing in, yeah. in District 12, where that wasn't really a big thing. Because we with Katniss, we see how hard life is in District 12 really well. But... I, I think that just it's just the novel. It's the it's based off the novel, and people are saying it's a, go, a good adaptation. So I think it's just the story itself. Yeah, it must be. I just wasn't uh, that impressed. But I think if you if you're a fan of the book in the, the franchise, I think you'll love it. I think you will. All right, moving on to my tough guy marathon continued with Donnie Brasco. <laughs> nice. Al Pacino and Johnny Depp lead this crime film. I wrote Al and Johnny acting together is worth the price of admission alone. I had not seen this in a long time. I think I'd only seen it once before. And it's good because I didn't really remember much of it. And Johnny Depp plays an undercover FBI agent who is weaving his way into a criminal underworld mafia uh, family. And Al Pacino plays one of the soldiers that he befriends who takes him in under his wing. It's really great. It's perfectly acted, well directed by Mike Newell. And it's just a, a solid, all-around good Crime film. I didn't know Mike Newell made this. Yeah, I think this was his really big coming out party as a director in Hollywood. He did a really good job. I would say that, I mean, I wouldn't put it in the top 10 of crime films, of crime epics, but uh. it's definitely solid. It's up there. It's probably like top 25, top 30. Um, but if it's not, it it tries to be other films. It tries to be Goodfellas. It tries to be The Godfather at times. It tries to be a lot of these great crime films that have become legendary doesn't quite reach that mark, but it does come pretty close sometimes. Yeah, and their relationship in the in the film is terrific where, you know, Johnny's character is, like, becoming a friend of Pacino's character. The line's and, getting blurred. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And uh, uh, what's that line he says? Like, when he eventually becomes one of them, he's like, you're one of my guys. You, you got my protection. Exactly. No one can touch you. Yeah. It's a really good movie. Yeah. Good mom movie. What else you got? Might as well do another tough guy movie, Anthony. I did it. My next tough guy movie is Cinderella Man, which... Is top five boxing movie of all time. Yes. Four and a half star rating. I wrote one of the best boxing movies ever made. An inspiring true story, true underdog story directed with care by Ron Howard and carried by Russell Crowe's immense talent. I saw this uh, several times when it first came out, like over like the years after that in the 2000s, but I hadn't seen it in a long time. And I remember really liking it. I think Ron Howard's a really wonderful director. He's always been so reliable and consistent with his films. And Russell Crowe is one of my favorite actors. And man, this movie is so fucking good. I was cheering. I was crying. It's emotional. It's very resonant. It's very powerful. Russell Crowe is really one of the greatest actors to ever live, I think. And he delivers one of the better boxing performances. And in, ter in terms of boxing, this looks great. The fighting looks very realistic. Uh, it's not... And they, they, they adequately did techniques from the older times from that era of the Prohibition era, 1920s, where, you know, box, they, it's not like the modern boxing, the way they're moving and, and fighting and stuff. They, it's really like the, the bare bones early days of boxing, and they, they capture that perfectly with the choreography. And the fight cinematography looks fantastic. 
There are some really great shots. He, Ron Howard gets these great angles, these great close-ups, uh, incredible impacts and and blows, and you can really feel the 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 pain. You can feel the sweat and the heat and the struggle. It's just like it's some some of the best boxing put on screen, in my opinion. And I, I forgot about how good it was. It's it's such such a great story. It's a true underdog story. This guy Braddock, James Braddock, was light heavyweight champion. Then he lost everything when the Great Depression came, fell into debt, and he was waiting in bread lines and he was trying to get jobs, day jobs at on the docks. And he has a family he has to feed. He has a family he has to feed. So he was the 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 Depression destroyed so many people's lives, and his was one of them. And then he also was like past his heyday. He, he he couldn't throw with his right hand. He he always had a horrible right hand. And then working on the dock strengthened his right arm, and gave him that tool in his boxing utility belt that he never could use. And it made him even even an even better boxer. And so to come from poverty and nothing, and waiting in bread lines to becoming the the champion of boxing again, it's such an incredible story. I I fucking love this movie. It's I haven't so seen good. it in a while, but I remember I think I watched it like four or five years ago, and I just remember like I forgot how good this movie was when I was watching it. It's really really well made. All right, my next watch was another film we saw together, The Holdovers, which I cannot recommend enough. Gave it four and a half stars. I wrote brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. This is cinema. The Holdovers is really a Christmas film in a lot of ways. I feel like yeah. it should have come out in December. But, you know, there's a lot of competition, I guess, this December before all the movies got pushed away. But it's a sensational movie from Alexander Payne and Paul Giamatti is so terrific in this movie. Also stars Dominic Sessa and Divine Joy Randolph, who is a scene stealer in this movie. It takes place in Boston. It's about this high schooler at boarding school where over the course of the school year, it's coming to be the Christmas and New Year break where they get two weeks off and all the kids, all the boys, they go home to their families, except for there's holdovers every year, which are four boys, five boys every year have to stay on campus. It's kind of like Harry Potter staying. Yeah, like they can't, they can't <laughs> go Hogwarts. home. He can't yeah. go home because they can't go home because either the parents are busy, parents don't want to see them because their parents just dump them off at these boarding schools all year anyways to get them out of their lives. And this one boy who always goes home every year gets a phone call before he's about to go off for Christmas break saying that he has to stay there and hold over. And then he eventually has to hold over by himself with the teacher that everybody at school despises the most, played by Paul Giamatti. And it basically ends up being a story about them two as well as uh, Divine plays the chef. Mary. Mary. She plays Mary, the chef of the school. And it's the three of them basically staying together over the course of the Christmas and New Year break and the holiday season together. And it's absolutely hysterical. I think it's the funniest movie of the year. And... It's heartbreaking, heartwarming at the same time. You're sort of retracing your own memories of, of your high school days or Christmas holidays through nostalgia as well as your pain and, and trauma and past bad experiences you've had in your life as well as being a great coming-of-age story and a great story of transformation of not just this kid in, in his adolescence but also of a grieving mother and also of... Um, a man, middle-aged man, who sort of lost his way in connection to youth and youthfulness of humanity and, and to kids and the people he teaches every day. It's it's insanely good. Yeah, Paul Giamatti is amazing as um, Paul Hunnam, the, the teacher that everybody hates. The, he's very much like a Scrooge character. This is going to be a, a Christmas watch for me every year now. It's that good. It's that good of a holiday movie. And it is like a kind of like Alexander Payne's version of a, a Scrooge story. 
And also, I was really impressed with Dominic Sesto, who played Angus Tully, the kid. This is his first film he's ever done. This is his acting debut, and he did a great... I mean, he's holding his own against Paul Giamatti. And, I mean, Paul Giamatti's one of the most accomplished actors working today. So that's... Was, I was really impressed with him, the, the young actor. Alexander Payne's a great writer. His movies are always so uh, deep and layered and complex. Oh, this wasn't written by him. Oh, he didn't write it? It was written by... Give me one sec. Someone else. Hold on. David Hemmingson. Yeah. Got it. David Hemmingson. David Hemmingson is such a great writer. <laughs> <laughs> this is actually David Hemmingson's first film. This is his debut as well. And the thing is, this this movie, it's so funny, but like you said, it's also heartbreaking. And it, it's one of those movies that balances so many different aspects and different genres from dark comedy to uh, goofy comedy, slapstick humor to gut-wrenching tragedy to heartwarming uh, camaraderie. And, and there's so many great elements to the film. And the filmmaking is very patient. He sh shot it on film. He used uh, the company logos. They made them feel like they were retro in the 70s. It feels like it, this was plucked out of the 1970s. Yeah, exactly. Now. And just the cinematography is just really, really fantastic. And, and the way they filmed this felt like it was made 40 years ago. And also it's, it's set in... Massachusetts, and we actually saw a couple places near that we used to go to growing up. There's a Italian restaurant, the Chateau, that we grew up going to. Yes, it was a family favorite. Chicken parm, toasted rabs, baby. And it's in the movie, and we freaked out in the theater. We were like, "Oh my god, it's the Chateau!" And so I loved seeing Boston and New England in the winter time. It's really beautiful, and I think the team just knocked it out of the park. This, I think, this is going to get nominated for a lot of Oscars. I think it's going to get Best Picture, Best Lead Actor, Best Supporting Actress. Best screenplay and best director. Can you guess whether it was shot on film or digital? I would say the film was shot. I mean, I have to, I have to look at it again. Um, I would say it was shot on film. It was shot digital. Damn. Aria Leximini. I thought it was shot on film while we were watching it. That's yeah. how how it, it looks like the 1970s, the filmmaking style, and it almost looks like film stock. Yeah. I, I, even until I just looked it up, it was actually shot on digital codex. Which is really impressive. I mean, it looks like like film like real film grain on there. They did a great they job good at it. And also, I mean, just the the camera techniques they feel so old school. And I, I can't recommend it enough. It was I think it's a really special movie this year. That's flying completely under the radar. Ah, uh, yeah, but it's gonna get a lot of nominations. And I think it's one of those movies that nobody saw but gets a lot of love. And then people are like, "What's this movie that got nominated for Oscars?" It's like. You didn't see it. That's why. Yeah, I mean, if you saw it, you'd understand. It why is it's that gonna, good of a yeah. movie. It should get Oscar nominations. It's, I think it should get uh, uh, acting nominations for Giamatti and Rudolph, as well as I mean, probably directing and possibly writing. I think writing nomination. It might be one of the best. It might be the best script this year, possibly besides Oppenheimer. Yeah, I put it behind Oppenheimer. It's extremely well received with a four point two on Letterboxd. What'd you watch next? Next up, I it's an watched... eight point four on IMDb. Damn, damn, that's actually perfectly in line with the Letterbox. Yeah, four point two. Next up, we I watched my tough guy marathon ended, so now I'm just exploring different aspects of masculinity. So is the goal like you're gonna end up being a tough guy by the? Are you a tough guy now? I'm the toughest guy imaginable. But now imaginable. I, now I'm now with the, the rest of my films, I'm exploring toxic masculinity with the Social Network, <laughs> <laughs> which I gave five stars. I saw a great meme yesterday where it shows a shot from the Social Network where. Zuckerberg is in the backyard of their house and they're doing those like stunts off the roof and stuff. Uh, and someone wrote, Z Mark Zuckerberg was the original Dave Dobrik. <laughs> That's great. If it's real. So I wrote, 
Top five movie of the century. Five stars. I was craving another Fincher movie after The Killer. And I hadn't seen The Social Network since last year. So it was like, it's been a while, mm-hmm. you know. It's a, it's a perfect movie. Everything about it. It's just one of those films that it's going to stand the test of time as just one of the greatest pieces of cinema ever made. It's one of the most fascinating stories ever told uh, in the contemporary times. The most impact, One of the most impactful human beings of the modern era and the invention he made, made that changed the world. I mean, Facebook has 3 billion users. 3 billion users. And then, it's yeah, crazy. with Instagram involved, yeah. Yeah, with Instagram, it's even more. So, and I'm sure that Zuckerberg is going to come continue reinventing and making impacts on the world of future technology. Well, I mean, did you see he was on Lex Friedman's podcast? Yeah, the metaverse. Did you see the, like, the improvements they've made to the facial capture and creation of your digital avatar? Lex, it looks yeah. insanely realistic. It's scary how real it looks. And I mean, that's the thing is like, we don't know, like behind closed doors, the stuff they're doing in these companies is probably mind blowing, but we won't, we don't know about them until they release products. But like, they're working on prototypes and, and advancing technology to a degree that would blow our hair, blow our minds. You know what I mean? So it's just so well done. And, and Jesse Eisenberg, he's a, he's a really good actor. But I've always said that – I've always thought that he, he has like a limit and a lot of himself gets put into his performances. Yeah, I think sometimes he's miscast. Yeah. Like I think he was slightly miscast as Lex Luthor. I still liked his performance and I like yeah. a young version of Lex Luthor. But he might have been miscast in that role. He's he, he can he's very talented though in the right context, and this is his greatest achievement as an actor. He's really phenomenal. Cause there's a point where when I see Eisenberg in movies, I see Eisenberg. You know what I mean? But when I watch Social Network, I see Zuckerberg. So I think he really uh, disappeared into this role more than he has in any other role. And then an early Andrew Garfield role that really put him on the map. It was so important, instrumental to his career. Uh, as Eduardo Saverin. It's just an, a remarkable story. Army Hammer, early role for him. Rudy Mara, early role for her. Like, the cast is fucking absurd. Max Mangella. Like, so many incredible actors with this being the biggest thing they did in their young careers that really helped catapult them into Hollywood. Rooney's one of the few actors who's done two movies with David Fincher. What, what I like about Fincher a lot is he doesn't do recurring actors in, in his movies often, which... It, it depends on the on the filmmaker, like when Tarantino does it or someone like that or Nolan, I love it. But I like how Fincher consistently works with new people on his films. So Rooney's— Yeah, it's in, just Brad and her. Yeah. R- 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 there's a couple others. Tilda. Um, Tilda's in two, yeah. But Rooney's in Dragon Tattoo and, and Social Network. All right. Next up, how many you got left? I have one left. Oh, okay, cool. Go ahead, man. Take, um, it, take it away. Take it away. Well, my well, I did uh, The Killer again. Go get him, Tiger. <laughs> I did The Killer, but we talked about that last episode anyway. Oh, you watched I, it again, yeah. I rewatched it because we did an episode on The Killer, which is dropping on Monday. Monday. Monday, we're Monday, doing an episode Monday. on The Killer. So y'all have a few days in this weekend to watch it on Netflix. We can't recommend it enough because we we were just talking about David Fincher with Social Network. The Killer is exceptional. I gave it four and a half stars, and I did a review of it last week, so I won't retrace my steps there. But four and I, a half, though? Yeah, four and a half stars. So, you, yeah, I mean, that's just... You watched it twice, like, four and a half. It's a banger, dude. Yeah. It's a banger. I have four and a half for it as well. But then um, I also watched Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince, which just, I gave... Just because? Just because, four and a half stars. Well, is it because we were quoting it the other no, day? No, no, because I'm kind of working <laughs> on a project that sort of is in that world in a, in uh-huh, a little gotcha. bit, so I, I was trying to get in the mood aesthetically and, and cinematically for it, and... I love Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince, and it's always been like a top three for me in the Harry Potter franchise. But I it, I have it at four and a half because 
even though it looks the best, it's the best looking Harry Potter film. It's gorgeous cinematography and terrific filmmaking. And when it comes to a film that captures the style of the Wizarding World, I think this is the best at it. I think this is this is obviously the foundation of David Yates' second attempt at a Harry Potter, not attempt, second Harry Potter film with this. He started with Order of the Phoenix. And then he's done all the Fantastic Beasts and obviously Deathly Hollows movies. So I think what David Yates, he created a terrific style. Half-Blood Prince was essential to that. Developing the look and feel of this of the Wizarding World that's consistent throughout the, the rest of the movies. But the deviations from the story drop it down to a five because there's so many things that when it comes to it being an adaptation that are missing, that would really be terrific to see more of the memories from Voldemort, more of the situations that happen at school, the big battle that happens between the between um the the Order of the Phoenix and the Death Eaters and the students at school. So much stuff left out of the book, as well as things added in that just make no sense, like the that I don't like the destruction of the burrow, as well as the Ginny and Harry relationship might be the worst relationship ever portrayed on screen in terms of the <laughs> romantic. Yeah, yeah, it's terrible. It's, it's she just like awful. awkwardly ties his shoes. He she awkwardly hides the potions book for him in the kisses him with his eyes closed. Yeah, it's it's just it, the chemistry's not there. Whispers. What'd she it's, say? Close your eyes. Close your eyes. It just doesn't feel like courtship at all. It's weird. But stuff like that taken away from it. But but because it's so well made, it's funny. It's a funny movie. And it has such a huge impact on the finale with Deathly Hallows Part 1 and 2 that I think I, yeah. I love to put it up there high on the list. And I think it's just so well made. And I connect with it really well. You know, the teen drama, the teen angst, stuff like that. I, I love it. Yeah, they lean more into that. So there's, they sacrifice Voldemort for the teen drama stuff. But that's all in the books. Yeah. So they've just picked and choose. Yeah, it's like... I also would have liked to see the minister. Yeah, yeah. In the opening. Yeah. But yeah, that was my second to last watch of the week. My last watch of the week was... Continuing my masculine trend. The Wolf of Wall Street. <laughs> I heard you watching this the other night. Which I gave five stars. I think it's great. And I wrote for my review, Steve Madden. This is perfect. Perfect. Woman, woman's shoes. Woman's shoes. Woman's shoes. And then... Uh, Hold on. Donnie's... Ha- it's kicking in right now. It looks like Donnie's... Those <laughs> loons are kicking <laughs> in. <laughs> and then... The comment section is great. So Daniel Georgie wrote, Betty fucking Hanna. Benny fucking Hanna. Jared Weiss wrote, who's Venice? Who? Who? What are you, a fucking owl? King TK wrote, I will not die sober, motherfucker. <laughs> get the loads. Donnie, get the loads. I'm a master diver. Don't worry, honey. No one's dying. I'm a master, master diver. diver. <laughs> it's just one of the funniest movies ever. It's so quotable. And it's just a great story, too. It's just like a so, it's truth to stranger than fiction kind of story. And I can't believe this shit really happened. And apparently from what DiCaprio and Scorsese said in interviews, they kept it tame compared to what is in the book and what they really did. Like, there's, they went, they dialed it to, like, 20 out of 10. I love the, I love life. this movie so, so much. I, I really adore the film. Owie, 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 Wolfie is my, my safe word. You're a dirty birdie. You're a dirty birdie. <laughs> <laughs> and DiCaprio, like, he just, I mean, he commits 100%. And I saw an interview with Scorsese saying, like, in order for that film to work, I needed the act. I needed our lead actor just to be like, to open himself up to do anything, and just commit to this debauchery. And just you gotta be ass naked, and you're gonna have your ass on screen on, in theaters everywhere, and you, you're gonna have a candle up your butt. And it's just like you gotta. He was like, in DiCaprio, I mean, he's really one of the greatest ever because he commits, and he does. All sorts of ridiculous shit in this movie, but it makes it work because it makes it more believable and helps with the character. And it's just like 
What a what a fucking fascinating character. Like when he, he invites the FBI onto his yacht to try and bribe them <laughs> after he's told not to bribe them. Fun coupons. Fun coupons. <laughs> <laughs> Can you say that again? Exactly how you said it. <laughs> it's so great. I mean, I really love it. I think it's really so entertaining and and it's not Goodfellas, but it, it's pretty close to. It's Goodfellas. damn close, but it gets better and better over the years. It gets in better terms of watches re- when you re- when you rewatch it, and also with the film community, just people love this movie more and more. Yeah, and I'm I'm quoting it more than ever lately, and I I'm still what I'm doing is I'm quoting the obscure stuff. Same thing with Goodfellas, and I was growing up with that movie. Yeah. you know, it's just one of those classics. The thing is, you you, you can't look them in the eye. You gotta like look them at, at their chin, so it looks like I'm looking in your eyes. But you smoke can't, crack with you me, can't bro. Make eye contact smoke with crack me. with me. <laughs> Let's run through the forest like we're lions and tigers and bears. <laughs> I love it. I'm so sober. Much. It's a joke, you fucking idiot. <laughs> I'm win. I've been asking my wife. I call her every hour. Has has Brad has called? Brad me called. Has Brad apologized? <laughs> I checked my answering machine. Zero messages from Brad. <laughs> hey, hey, bring your girls over. Yeah, yeah. Have them watch. Let them bring watch. Them, let them watch. Hey, tell your sister. Get some panties from your sister. Bring them over. <laughs> hey, mom, chicken. We got chicken. We, we got chicken, ma. It's great. I love it. I love it. Love it. Love it. Moving you got, on. You got, you, got your, you got your money taped to your tits, honey. I think you work for me. <laughs> <laughs> That's it for my watches. All right, my final watch was a movie that we're going to be covering in a couple weeks. Well, specifically, a character from it. We're doing another Evil Explored episode. On Amy Dunn from Gone Girl, so I watched Gone Girl the other night to refresh my memory. Or I didn't have to. I've seen this movie ten times, but I just love Gone Girl so much. And Amy Dunn's such a fascinating character. And we are doing an episode, Evil Explored, on Amy Dunn on next Wednesday, the 29th, with Izzy from Be Kind Rewind. It was such a great discussion. We broke down the character of Amy Dunn and her backstory, what causes her to create this insane, psychopathic master plan to destroy her husband, Nick Dunn. And it was, it was a great discussion, and I adore the character, and we love Fincher so much. I've been in such a Fincher move ever, mood ever since I saw The Killer. Oh, yeah. and we have an episode on The Killer dropping on Monday, and so then the week after that we have more Fincher with, with Amy Dunn. What's your star rating of it? Four and a half stars. I gave it five. You know, So you hated it? <laughs> the thing with the thing with Gone Girl is it's one of my favorite Fincher movies, uh-huh. but I only have I think three Fincher movies out of five. I think uh, for me it's Seven, Fight Club, and Social Network that are fives for me. With I'm still shocked when I did my Fincher top when I did my Fincher ranking, so many people were upset that I put Seven at number one. Seven's incredible. I really do think that Seven's his best movie. I think it might. I think it's the best. It's his best directed movie for yeah. sure. It's it's like my second or third favorite Fincher movie, but objectively, yeah. I think it's his best movie. There were as well. so many people. There's so many because that photo went viral on Instagram. It got like twenty thousand views. I mean likes, so it got even more views. And there's so many people shitting on it for having seven at number one. I'm like, dude, have you? How many times have you seen seven? You, you give it a couple rewatches, you'll be like, holy fuck, this is just one of the greatest movies ever made. It really is. It's a perfect movie. It's the best murder mystery possibly. It's the, one of the best investigation. Best films. serial killer movie. Best detective yeah. story. It's a phenomenal. And movie. it changed Hollywood. Investigative movies and serial killer movies boomed after this. And also CI CSI started after this. This changed things forever. Ever. <laughs> I haven't done that one in a while. <laughs> Usually you're the one who says it. No, I'll this, say I'll it, it changed things you're like, yeah, forever. forever. Changed things forever. <laughs> I agree I agree. I think seven is 
it's weird to say if it is underrated, but I don't think it is because its IMDb rating is insanely high. Yeah, it's like an 8.6 or something. Uh, really hold on, let me check where it is right now. Because seven, seven's a special movie. But I don't think it's that high on Letterboxd. Let me see. It's an 8.6 on IMDb. You're right. Fuck yeah, I was right. Right. It, it on, I'm guessing a four on Letterboxd. It's number 19 all time on user ratings. I think it's, I mean, I can live with that. I can live with seven yeah. being a, a, in the top 20 movie on the IMDb's right. user ratings. And then we, got, with that. we actually got a perfect coinciding 4.3 on Letterboxd. I think it went viral because so many people agree with you. It's just the people out the outspoken people. Yeah, it's just people. like the minor vocal minorities. That's the minorities. thing with the vira- virality of a lot of our posts and clips. We always assume that it's people in the, that the, that we see the comments of, "Oh, this is so wrong. You're such an idiot." But really, it's going viral because people agree. Yeah, you're right. It got ten, it like it got thousands of likes. Yeah, so that means a lot of people liked it. You're right. Even Thanks, the man. even the impressions. Wow, that makes me feel better. <laughs> I hope so too. Well, that wraps our Letterbox recap number twenty five. We've been doing nothing but bangers lately, everybody. So Ba-ba-ba. like we said. On Monday, we're dropping an episode on The Killer. This previous week, yet the other day, we did episodes on... What did we do? <laughs> we did Homelander, Evil Explored. Homelander. It's a great episode. Evil Explored, which was such a blast to do. We did that on Wednesday. And then on Monday, we did a terrific episode on... What did we do? What did we do? Sorry. Everything just blends in together. You edited it. You edited it. <laughs> I did edit it. We did Arrival. 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 Denis Villeneuve's film. So we did Arrival recently. Homelander, Evil Explained. Next week, we'll be doing The Killer. And then eventually, we'll be doing Amy Dunn, uh, Evil Explored. And we've got some other bangers we have in the works as well. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Raiders of the Lost Podcast. Please share us with your family and friends. Post this in your Instagram stories and Twitter. Share us. It's the best way for a podcast to grow. Become a patron at patreon.com slash Raiders of the Lost Podcast. I'll put the link in the description of this episode. You can become an ad-free listener of the show with Spotify and Patreon at the minimum $5 tier. Leave the ratings on Spotify and Apple. You all know the deal. You gotta help us out. We're competing with celebrities and all kinds of people that are just Juno sat- needs the money. Oversaturating the film and TV market for podcasting, but we're keeping our stance firm and we're just yeah, never, keeping that keeping never, that stance never, never firm. stopping, <laughs> never stopping, baby. Can't stop, ever stop. So thank you all so much for tuning in. See you next time. Raiders of the Lost Podcast is a Mirror Image production. Sound mixing done by Jacob Kosler. Opening music by Chase Jackson.